0: Did you have a nice little nap today. Did I snore? No, I th- I thought I was snoring. I was making noises though, wasn't I? I'm surprised you made some noises. I'm surprised you didn't snore though. But no, you didn't. It wasn't plan. It wasn't a planned activity. I just wanted to lay down and rest <laughs> my aching back. Yeah. yeah, just gonna rest my eyes for a minute, guys. I mean, I I am I am living proof of the curmudgeon right now with my lower back issue. It's always something with us. We're old. Oh no. Do you I get a click for yeah, that? Yeah, you do. <laughs> Same. i on do not disturb. I'm on do not disturb, but what I found out is that my my alarms that I have set, my various ongoing alarms to remind me of things. Those, are those even helpful? They were at first, and now I kind of got used to them, and yeah. they're not as helpful as they once were. But they're reminders to either do something or get going or to, you know, stand up or to have a snack or something. Have a snack. My phone is my mom. You don't have to remind me to eat. Huh? See, I don't have to be reminded to eat. I do. That's my problem. I'll get so busy and so preoccupied with what I'm doing, I won't eat. And then I'll stop and I'll be like, I'm starving. And then I'll eat everything in sight. Yeah. I have that problem later
1: in the day, like in the evening. If I let myself get too hungry at like dinner time, oh my gosh, I'll eat the house. (laughs) Order a pizza. Well, I've got the cardboard box. I've got a couple of things to start with.
0: I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. I have something that I wanted to start with, though. <clears throat> if that's okay. T- okay.
1: To ruin my, ruin my my introduction to that segment, but that's okay. We can just pretend like that didn't happen. Okay, everyone, pretend like that didn't happen. <laughs> All right, John, what would you like to start with? It was Mark, Sp- Mark Benio's birthday last week. Oh, was it? Did you know that? Is that why he was in the White House with uh, Tim Cook and the Chinese president? And no, oh, no, that, that's because he donates millions of dollars <laughs> to Obama. Okay, sorry about that.
0: <laughs> I don't. know. I just thought it was interesting. It was what Friday or something like that.
1: Thursday. I, I didn't know. No, Is I don't. I, I don't follow Mark on Twitter or anything. So I don't. Unless someone retweets it, which I do. I do see a lot of re, uh, retweets of, Actually, of. I don't.
0: His. I don't know if I saw that on Twitter, but I, I just happened to come across it. It was on his profile. And whatever you've got, him you've got a little shrine set up at your house with the date you probably i bet you
1: hung a little happy birthday banner over it cut <laughs> down and kneeled <laughs>
0: sang some i made him a cupcake and i put it there and yeah. we shared it yeah he's you know that that's it's news He's 51 according to this he's worth 3.9 billion dollars at age oh, really? 51 3.9
1: yeah it's good all right. So, onto your segment. Did you, did I, you I when, just, when you when you were celebrating his, his birthday at your house? Did you did you when, when you were kneeling at the altar? Did you sing some? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I hurt my back. <laughs> <laughs> Bowing too much. Yes. <laughs> okay.
0: I've got information, man. New shit has come to light.
1: Not last week. You were wrong. I was. And I didn't even no, hear you. No wonder it. you wanted to get to this. Yeah, you're exactly. just, you're just I'm always chomping at the bit to prove that you're wrong exactly. or something. Yeah. I could that's, see it in your eyes. You're my,
0: anxious to get something. That's my goal in life, John.
1: Uh, you said, and I didn't even hear you say this, because I knew this. And the only reason I knew this is because someone showed it to me, like the day before. There is a sales console.
0: Yes. Yeah. But you said there was not one. There wasn't an updated one. It's not what you said. There isn't an updated one. They've been mean? advancing and updating the service console far more frequently than they are their sales console. The sales console gets no love. Maybe that's why the, maybe that's why the service cloud grows at 40% a year and sales cloud only grows at 10% a year. Maybe funny how that works, huh? Well, I, yeah, it's your audience. I mean, it's, I don't even know what to say about it. I just know that for the longest time, service consoles been getting getting, has gotten a lot of love. You know, it's, They get all features all the time and, you know, if there's a new update to the UI, they get it first. So I just, I just don't think there's, there's love on the sales side for the console. Yeah. So also
1: under the new information segment is, uh, the CISA controversy. Controversy. That erupted. That's right. It's drama. Where's our drama? Dun, dun. Uh, we, we have drama. We have drama. That was a good call, John. Um, yeah, so CISA, um, Mark vociferously got on Twitter and saying that they don't, they don't support CISA. So just to remind, there was this fight for the future and the, what was it? Something, um, you betrayed us both the, by like both 501, three C's or something because, uh, they, they think that Salesforce supports CISA and I guess he, I guess that this is more targeted at Heroku. Some Heroku people were boycotting and Mark says, no, we know we, we don't, we don't support this. we never have, we never will. Right. And so I went and looked up the, the letter that they signed onto. It was a BSA letter, the mm-hmm. business software Alliance. And yeah. they signed it. Grant, uh, what's his name? Burke Norton, their chief legal officer signed it on behalf of Salesforce. And the, specifically the paragraph in question is uh, cyber threat information sharing legislation is what they want. So it doesn't say it's CISA or whatever CISA stands for. It says cyber threat information se- sharing legislation. So mm. gener- generic. information
0: sharing. CIS. Infra- I mean, it oh, literally, no it literally no says
1: information sharing. Yeah. Right. It's that's what they sign on to. And it says it will promote cybersecurity. And protect sensitive information by enabling private actors in possession of information, Salesforce, about vulnerability and intrusions to more easily share that information vulnerability. Or voluntarily, sorry. Thus enabling the development of better solutions faster. So they basically so it doesn't it doesn't say CISA, but giving that CISA is what is in on the floor of the Mm -hmm. House and the Senate right now, or whichever one. I mean, and, and given that this letter was addressed to Pelosi, Boehner, McConnell, all these guys, the, the leaders, it's, it's obvious what that was supporting. Um, Five for the Future says, uh, in, this, in, the, in the letter, these companies didn't come right out and say they were endorsing CISA. Instead, they asked Congress to act promptly, qu- that's a quote, to pass, quote, cyber threat information sharing, sharing legislation, unquote. But these companies aren't stupid. They know that the Senate will vote on CISA soon and will use this letter as cover to say that the tech industry supports it. I also found a a quote from Burke Norton, who's Salesforce chief legal officer. At Salesforce, trust is our number one value and nothing is more important to our company than the privacy of our customers' data. Contrary Contrary to reports, Salesforce does not support CISA and has never supported CISA okay uh b s a says uh consistent with this view b s a september fourteenth data d- agenda letter to con to congressional leaders identified five key areas where congress can pass legislation to strengthen the policy environment around digital commerce including voluntary information sharing okay it's right there i mean it's it everything that sisa is about is 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 in that letter. It just doesn't say Sysa and the Benioff, you know, of course he, I, I was trying to count his tweets about this, but I think it was actually, I mean, it's dozens if not into the hundreds because he was responding to just random people. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says, you know, and, and I actually, I do believe this. This is what Mark says. The Salesforce privacy model is simple. We never share customer data. The data is our customers. Our job is to do our best to keep it safe. And actually I'd take that at, at, at face value Yeah, because that was what I was thinking last week was this does not make sense for Salesforce. Why would they sign this letter? Right. I mean, I, I wonder if Burke Norton got his hand slapped for that one. Why would they sign that? That, I mean, because their, their model, I mean, is built on trust. Look at how long it's taken for big companies to finally say, because a lot of them haven't still, but, but you know, that the tide has turned. They're now saying, fine we will start putting our you know our important private company data into a cloud platform as a service and right. software as a service yeah it took 15 years to get there why would you do anything to raise questions about that you wouldn't right it makes no sense yeah so I do just because of that I, I take I take him at face value when he says that um, what I don't take at face value is some of his other tweets he said uh, this was fabricated <laughs> no <laughs> It was a letter written and you signed it. Uh, He said, We would never share customer data with anyone. We do not support CISA. We never have. And then, and he was, this guy he was tweeting with responded back and he said, My bad, yo, on Twitter does not supersede signed petition to the US House. Who said that? That's a guy he was, Mark was responding to. Yeah. Yeah. You can't just sign a letter that's very specific and then say, Oh, my bad. But I think uh, I think Salesforce wrote up a formal. I didn't read it. Yeah, I didn't see it. But they, uh, Mark said that it was forthcoming, a formal letter that describes their position against CISA and anything like CISA. So that's good. Glad yeah. that I'm glad that bubbled up.
0: Wait, you have any thoughts on it? No, I mean it's. I mean all the, all the security stuff is kind of forefront. I mean everyone everyone in the tech industry is talking about it. Everyone's got articles published on it. It's hard to talk about it without getting into politics in some form or fashion, but I mean, ultimately it's not really a, it's not really that type of political issue. It's more of a privacy security issue that stands in between, at least I want to think so, stands in between party lines. Yeah, I don't think it's, I mean, I it's not, it's not like one side over the other is saying this and it's, it's being used as a political wedge against parties. It's just a, a major problem that we all have to deal with. I mean, we have, we have, national security issues that that are having to be dealt with they they need access to information um especially when it comes to criminal activity the the there are instances where the government is trying to be more proactive in which case they're collecting a lot more information which gives us as as the citizens of this country the creeps yeah because they're collecting all this information um what what is that saying you know hidden behind good intentions or what is that saying I don't know. I guess bad things always started with good intentions or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's it's that kind of feeling that we understand that you're trying to collect this information, you're trying to, you know, somehow be proactive in in identifying some of these threats, but again, you know, they they're basically asking for the golden key to all these encrypted systems that even the company themselves are not supposed to have access to. Right. And we know because we we as the owner of the data has the encryption key, which is our password.
1: Uh, yeah, except most of the Salesforce data is not encrypted at rest, which is kind of a separate, separate topic. Yeah, it's a separate issue. They, you know, either the government would have to hack into Salesforce systems or Salesforce would have to give the data over to them. And that, that was, I think what what this is looking at, it was something where Salesforce could basically,
0: would be allowed to hand over its customer's data to the government if if it wanted it. Well, I mean, the other, the other issue that's being put out there in terms of security is the if we do somehow enable these systems with a golden key for the government, that golden key then becomes, I don't know where I got the term, I think it was written somewhere, this golden key thing, so I'm sorry for overusing like a master that master key type of yeah. thing? Okay. Master key, golden key, that's what it's being referred to as, so I'm overusing that term, but um, essentially, that piece of technology that's allowing the government access to that information would then become a target for hackers who could then exploit that system to access our information as well. Right.
1: And... I'm sure I know that a lot of the people that are in support of these kind of bills, especially some of the legislators who aren't necessarily, I mean, some of them are somewhat technical. Some of them aren't. And that also seemed to be not a party line thing. I know some people like to think that Republicans are these, you know, knuckle dragging idiots, but that's really not the case. I mean, there are people on, on both sides now that are smart about this and there's people on the, on both sides that are complete idiots. Um, and even the ones that do support this, I, I think probably are doing so for good intentions, right? Yeah. But it just, uh, you know, we ha- we do have, I think, a you know, a fundamental right to privacy,
0: even though it's it, that word does not exist in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. Well, there's some people that seem to think that we've kind of lost that battle a long time ago. the The right to privacy, with all of this information being on the cloud, with all of our information being everywhere, with the Advent of so of these social media that has, you know, ev- many th- people that are younger than us that live their lives on these on these things. their Their lives are public, you know. They live on Instagram, they live on Twitter, they live on Facebook, and all that information is freely available to everyone. Yeah, and that and again, the millennial generation
1: and and whatever is after them actually that they have very little expectation of privacy.
0: Yeah. Now I heard someone say and I think that's
1: because not because they don't want it. They're just they're so jaded, they don't think it's
0: even a reasonable request. It, it it might not be anymore, with so much information being out there and available. Now, what I heard someone say, and actually I think this was at Dreamforce, um at the uh, I, I've been meaning to follow up on this this one session that I went to with the um science fiction writers. Um and they 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 do things like this. They talk about, you know, what happens in the future, if, you know, everyone's connected and everyone has all this information and you have all these. What happens if we have an Internet of customers? Yeah, exactly. They, you know, you, you take this idea and you explore it to a certain end. You know, the government takes over and now you have no privacy and they know exactly where you're at at every minute of the day. Um, those type of things. S- so the so they, Internet of customers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, and one of them had said something that stuck with me and I've been meaning to kind of go back to my notes and research it. So I want to expand on this a little bit more at another time. But he said, you know, we might have lost that battle. He didn't, these, I'm paraphrasing, that it it may not be, the solution may not be privacy. Your idea of privacy shouldn't be dependent on people not knowing stuff. It should be based on what they can actually do with what they know. So in other words, our legislation shouldn't be, no, you can't see this ever because chances are they will and already have. It should be legislation based on what you can or cannot do with that information. I even think that position is a non-starter for a company like Salesforce. The position, Salesforce's position has to has
1: to be that you can't have either of those. It's not that you just can't do certain things with the data. It's that you can't have the data. If Salesforce can't reassure, and, and customers like Salesforce, and companies like Salesforce, they cannot reassure their customers that their data is completely private, protected, and will never be turned over unless they somehow get a legally binding um, subpoena to do so. Then it won't, then it will be completely secure. It can't just be that, well, we'll give it to them, but they're not gonna do anything about You know, this remember this crap about the phone, the phone logs who was at the NSA that was basically just capturing all this quote metadata mm-hmm. about your call about your <laughs> phone calls. Well, that's that's a such a bogus argument because if they know who you are, who you called, how long the call was, and all that kind of stuff, that's not metadata. That's data. Metadata is the fact that a call has a a caller and a receiver, and it has a length, but yeah. if you actually know the values for those, that's not the metadata, that's the data.
0: Yeah, but I mean, that assumes that your data, at least what's in stored in Salesforce, only exists in Salesforce. Like there's no other way to get that information. When we all know you could you could gather and piece together information from multiple sources and create some kind of complete picture of a person. You can pull. Tidbits from Facebook, tidbits from Instagram, tidbits from Twitter, oh, tidbits, yeah. tidbits from from here and there that you can access to that does have a lax in security. Yeah, and so the overall argument in general is that you know that information is there, you've put it there, it exists, it's being accessed, it's being shared at times erroneously, and are the way we view our privacy needs to transition from focusing so much on what you can see. To focusing a lot more on on what you can and cannot do with that information and the ramifications of that. Yeah. Are you talking about kind of building a profile from publicly available information? Just, you know, the fact that. Not even that. I mean, think, think about how lax some of our clients have been with information. You know, I I've cringed at at someone sending me an email of a spreadsheet of data they want imported. It's filled with social security numbers, addresses, maiden names, and I'm just cringing. I'm like, I don't want this on my computer. But well, don't get me started on how lax Salesforce consultants are with their customers' data. Uh, it, I'm just saying that information is out there. It's available. You know, not everyone is forthcoming with security. They're they're not always thinking the way they should be. Right.
1: Well, that's 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 kind of different though. I mean, that's that's their own fault, right? If if you're not if you don't try to protect your own data,
0: then that, that's your fault. What we're but talking those are to, the holes that, that exist. Those are the... True. That, that is how they, they get access to that type of information. Right. It's not, um, always, it's not always going into cracking this, this major mainframe down the street. No, there's, that's not... There's, there's social hacking that's probably a bigger threat right. than anything else. Yeah, but really, I mean, our topic here is when the NSA went to whatever
1: that email provider was and basically said, you have to give us your encryption key.
0: Yeah, that's a big issue. And they issue. ended up
1: going out of business. I said nope. <laughs> <laughs> and they got shut down. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big issue. Um or, and just the the um the the collection of all a uh, mass collection of phone metadata which is actually data, it's yeah. not metadata. Anyway, um so yeah, that's you know, it's a uh, I'm glad Salesforce clarified. I guess I guess we have to give them that credit for clarifying even though it's It's almost unbelievable they signed onto that letter in the first place. We
0: keep saying they, but it was one individual from the company. I mean, how much, how does that happen? How does... I I don't know. I mean, is there like, is it part of the board meeting and say, hey, we got this, came across our desk, you know, what's our response? I would think that when it comes to
1: Salesforce's position on legislation and potential legislation and when when they're writing letters to the congressional leaders that's got to be more than just the chief legal officer like making decisions by himself. It, right. That or that's may not of, be. I mean it could well, be it, it, if it if that was him just acting completely on his own and he can make those kind of decisions completely on his own, then that's that's a corporate management issue that they need to they need to fix.
0: Yeah. It's it's hard to say. I mean, reading that letter that or that portion of the letter that you read, I mean <laughs> Yeah, it didn't specifically say CISA, but it said cyber threat information sharing legislation. The only thing it was missing is Cyber Security Information Sharing Act, and that's missing security and act. And that's obviously what it was referring to. There's only one piece of legislation on the
1: floor of the Congress right now that matches that, and that's in it's CISA. And Mark said he said he admitted he said this was a mistake. Signing this letter was a mistake. Yeah, and I mean I just I think I really I mean I you know I mean I'm not the kind to give. Bend over backwards to
0: give credit to Mark on on some of these things, but I I give You're him not credit. Hurt your back? No, I, over I, it. I
1: actually believe him. <laughs> I believe this was a, that was a huge mistake. I don't think they.
0: I, I do too. I mean, he, the the entire company is built around trust. It's built around security of your data and your application. And but I don't
1: think this was a sorry not sorry thing. I think this was like really. I mean, I think it truly was like a mistake. I don't think. Yeah. I, I think if, for example, if if Mark would have known that Burke is that his name was doing this, he would have said, "Oh no 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 no, we don't we don't support that." Yeah.
0: Uh, he did it in a very specific way. In his tweet, he said something that was very impactful, and that was, he doesn't claim to own your data. He, he flat out said, we never share customer data. The data is our customers. That's a very important distinction to make. I mean, they're, they're being entrusted by companies to host this data and provide value add to this information. But Salesforce inherently does not own that information. And it's, and it's good that that's their, um, that's their thought technology on that, is that
1: that is not Salesforce's data. They're just entrusted with it. They're the they may be custodians of it, but it's not their data. It's not their right. data to share. It's, it's not a, even a decision they can that they are in a position to make. Right, they shouldn't be anyway. All right, well, that horse is long dead. Um, so, uh, you got more? Uh, I've got some stuff. Nothing, nothing great. Go for it. Um, so it's something to watch out for. I because I, I just saw it fly across my screen in a tweet or something. Salesforce is committing to to
0: using 100% renewable energy. Committing to 100% renewable energy across all the data centers and everything?
1: Data centers, offices. What Ah. about the energy that's, I mean, think about the massive amount of energy that it takes to build their tower.
0: Does that include uh, Dreamforce?
1: Think about the 160,000 or 200,000 people, whatever number you want to believe.
0: Yes, that flew out for Dreamforce. That in, does that mean their ship they bring in next year is going to be all solar powered and wind powered because those things have diesel generators? Yeah, exactly. But no, they're committed to a hundred percent renewable. So let's we'll have to keep our eye on that.
1: Maybe they'll be burning <laughs> French fry oil. We and need to recruit the whole
0: area. Will smell like French fries. We need to recruit you know
1: our <laughs> listeners to help us keep tabs on some of these things. What things? Things like this when they make a claim or you know they're always making these claims these socio.
0: Um, Whatever. I don't. I don't fault them for trying to, to go that route. It's a it's a valiant effort to try and reduce your your footprint, your impact. Especially a company that's growing to the size of Salesforce, um, that hosts events that they host. It's don't fault them for it, but they're making they're making a, an extremely bold claim,
1: and they do, they're great at this. Like they haven't before. They do this because it it gets press. Yeah, it gets them on. Yeah. It gets them on that you know. So they don't have the Sierra Club knocking on their door, demanding money yeah. and, and threatening to extort them. Kind of like Mark does to other CEOs in Silicon Valley. They don't want that. No. So get out in front of it. You make these kind of ridiculous claims. The question
0: is, are they, is this just, are they full of crap on this or are they going to do it? It's a, it's a time will tell if it, how, how much change they actually make and how, you know, is it valuable? Yeah. Is it, is it just, is it, are they buying carbon credits and stupid things like that?
1: Or is this a, we commit to hundred percent renewables. Within the next 30 years. Right.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think we would all love that, but technology just hasn't gone to that point. I mean, we, we, we can't even power our houses on batteries just yet. I mean, Tesla's trying. Well, batteries aren't. Oh, well, you mean by like solar or something? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, the, our problem, okay. Our problem in this country when it comes to, to energy is not producing energy. We have a million and one ways to produce energy, the problem is storing that effectively. And we don't have a you know, good way of storing that, that. That's why fossil fuels are still so valuable. because
1: say, That's a great way to store energy, yeah. <laughs> right? It's sitting right into the surface of the earth. It is. You can it's store a, it in tanks. You can store it as well before like, you
0: refine it. I mean, that's, that's our like problem. the earth put it there for us to use. Yeah. Isn't that? And that's what gets lost in some of these arguments of fossil fuels and all this kind of stuff. It, it's It's not so much that we don't know how to generate energy. We have a million and one ways of doing that. It's how do we store it for future use? How do we store it? In, in the event of, of a calamity or an event of some disaster where we can access that energy. yeah.
1: I, and I'm, I'm as far as, I know no, it's not renewable, but it's certainly much cleaner. You know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of nuclear. I don't, nuclear is especially modern is, is safe. It's, it's clean, especially these nuclear plants that can actually, you know, eat their own waste basically. Hmm. And it's you know nuclear is a great store of energy. It is. The problem is, is that when it fails, it fails big. Well, what do you mean? That's what I'm saying. Modern, modern nuclear technology. I mean, there just aren't that. It just doesn't. It doesn't fail like that. It's not like you know Chernobyl or something. Yeah. And even Fukushima. I mean, that was completely blown out of proportion. As the as it turns out, you know, we were all going to be eating. You know fish that glow in the dark and you know thousands of people are going to die from the radiation and just like nothing materialized it's
0: tough it's tough it, it's tough to really know because there's so many it's so many lobbyists there's so much propaganda around some of this information it's hard to kind of weed through all that as a consumer as a member of society who's casually keeping their their thumb on it to kind of come in and say okay well what's the real story here yep And when,
1: especially when these supposedly science-based organizations get so politicized that you can't, you can't believe anything they
0: say either. I know. But anyways. Yep. I I have a prediction and it's, it's a, it's a horrible prediction. (laughs) You mean it's not going to come true? No, it's going to come true and it's going to be annoying for a while. Okay. You know, we have Uber four and we have all these buzzwords. I'm predicting a new buzzword. Okay. Moneyball. Moneyball. Okay. Moneyball. Well, that's not a new term. It isn't, but now it's being applied to everything. You have money ball for government, money ball for marketing, moneyball for sales, money ball for healthcare. Really? Yeah. I haven't seen why have I not seen this? Well, it was casually mentioned at Dreamforce. Um you remember when he had uh, uh you can tell how professional I am because I forgot a name. <laughs> what uh, the 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 woman he had um uh, speaking about the their um cancer research right after his mom was on. Right. Um, she had mentioned we need a money ball for I think for research or something like that. Um and that got me thinking that was an odd term to to use. And then I saw some I read something not too long ago that mentioned moneyball as well. Did you see the movie? No. So and may, heard- maybe that's what spurred it all. But it, essentially, let's define moneyball. So moneyball and I'm, I'm going to read a definition off of... I'm going to use Urban Dictionary because it says it plainly enough. But Moneyball is a term describing baseball operations in which a team endeavors to analyze the market for baseball players and buy what is undervalued and sell what is overvalued. Yeah. That was actually pretty good. It was Brad Pitt and some other... Oh, um, what's the guy's name? He
1: died. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman? Mm, yeah. Oh, that was pretty good. He's a good actor, man. i was sorry to hear he him. He was go. a good actor, yeah. He was
0: an awesome actor. Yep, Just... Uh, Troubled. He always did a lot of supporting things, but he just, he just, he could steal the show. Well, he let on some things. Yeah, I'm just saying, I mean, his start and everything, it just, he just kind of had that presence, yeah, I don't know. It he was very versatile. Uh, economics of Moneyball. Yeah, I mean, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, Moneyball's about, it's just about using data, essentially. To it it of- is,
0: and that, that, I mean, that's the world we're going to. Everyone's talking about analytics a lot recently. we talk about all this influx of data that we have that we're not doing anything with, and so, you know naturally, everyone's going to want to gravitate to a term to kind of describe it that excites people. Yeah. And Moneyball is, I think, the new one. In fact, I think that Salesforce should rename the Thundercloud to the Moneyball cloud. <laughs>
1: <laughs> At least it means something more than Thundercloud doesn't really mean anything. It just happens
0: to... You know, act. that's sad because thunder is such a powerful term. It kind of fell flat on me, the Thundercloud. I. I it's, it's kind of ominous and scary. And considering the fact that it's, it's all
1: about collecting, sca- collecting... Are you scared of thunder? But think about it. It's all about collecting data on the internet of customers and, and stalking people the fact that you also call it thundercloud which is ominous in and of itself just adds to the ominous and scary and big brother nature of the whole thing and hearing that thunder sound effect <laughs> with the subwoofer <laughs> under my seat at, in the keynote that just made it even worse it's like this admit, is admit it when when that sound effect
0: came on you you peed a little <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, hopefully it was just pee <laughs> <laughs> unless he got
0: really excited <laughs> Uh I, I sh- This might have been a bad idea. <laughs> yeah.
1: You ready for a refill? You already you're already empty. Um uh, so I this is funny. I was I was going to do a deployment this morning. I did the point deployment and it kept yeah, I got this message at first and I was like, "What? How could this be possible?" I was saying that you can't it, about half through the deployment is failing and saying that there was some existing process running. I was like, "Oh, that's weird." you know, I don't think, I mean, there's a sandbox only high I have control over. I, so I tried again. I got the same thing again. And I go into Salesforce in the in this area. I think it may be a problem, which is in the sharing settings. And sure enough, I get this message. An organization wide default update has been initiated by system admin on September 25th, which is four days ago. You can't submit any changes prior to the completion of the operation. System admin will receive an email when the operation finishes. That operation is still running and I cannot do a deployment. Can't, you really can't do anything. It's not, basically there's been an, I'm, I'm on a four day and counting organizational lock. How does that happen? You tell me. This is a, how does that happen? I don't know. I created a case as I always do.
0: I create about, I think I averaged about five cases a week for deployment issues. Did, it, did a system admin do something to initiate this? Or is this a, I, I don't know. Is I'm, this a Salesforce system admin?
1: I'm, I'm the only, it, it had to be me. I was, I'm the only person who has access to the sandbox. Either that or is there some weird Salesforce bug where, I don't know, it, I have no Are idea. Are you updating to Lightning or
0: something? No. Can you update to Lightning? You can enable it. Sandboxes should have it. It could be that someone triggered a refresh, maybe.
1: No. No? mm Because I get emails on those. And plus, I just looked at all the sandboxes. Mm. And- and and actually, this is an org that I just refreshed about a little over a week ago. So this happened sometime after that refresh. So, I don't know. Very weird. Just, you know, add that to the list of just hundreds of weird issues around Salesforce and metadata and deployments. Just when you think that you've seen everything and everything has stopped you from getting work done, something new happens. I guess I'll create a case for this and move on to a different project that I can, it's not that I'm not completely stuck on. <laughs> <laughs> so we always, you got to have multiple projects going in Salesforce because you never know when you're going to be stopped in your tracks and there's nothing you can do because it's proprietary. You don't have access to any logs and it's, you know, you're now you're at the mercy of developer support. Yeah.
0: Sometimes it's not Salesforce though. That's true. Have you upgraded... Do you, use, do you use Maven? Maven's Mate on Sublime? Yes. Did you get stuck on it? It wouldn't update or something? It, it wouldn't update because they changed it. And I don't agree with the way they changed it. I don't it. even understand. I understand just, why they changed it. You know what I don't understand is the architecture of, of Maven's Mate. Well, here's the, here's the issue. So, on Sublime, on the latest version 5 for Maven's Mate... They removed the plugin and made it an application. It's actually going back in time. I too, thought it was that, a
1: separate application anyway.
0: It was, but then they integrated it so it was a little more or less intrusive. And now they took it back out and made it an application that has to run. Unfortunately, Sublime isn't initiating that. So I can either set up some grunt to open it whenever I need it to. Or what I've been doing, because I haven't set that up, is open the app, op- run Maven's Mate app and then run my Sublime editor. So did you get the
1: message when you opened Sublime that said, hey, we can't, we can't, uh, we tried we can't to update and it won't
0: update. Right. right, right. Well, it says something like, yeah, it says it can't update. And then and then if you do install the Mavens in the new Mavens Mate app, when you try to run it, without that app running, you get the message it cannot connect to the server. And right, I got that. And then I... Then I launched the Maven's Made app and had it open,
1: and then opened Sublime, and it worked. Which like, is
0: poorly termed for them to use server for the application, because even in their release notes, they had to put a disclaimer that said, "Hey, we're, we're not really. This isn't really a server on our side that you have to connect to, to to connect this information. You're not. You're not actually running anything to our server. It's all on your machine to Salesforce." I, and, and I know, I know what they mean by server. What I don't understand is why I don't understand this
1: architecture they've chosen. <laughs> you know, I, I just. And I, I, I mean, I, I understand what they're going for, which is this Maven's Mate chunk of functionality that it has that runs independent of any particular application. I just think that's over architecting.
0: Yeah. So their issue is is that they built a cross platform tool with Sublime Text, but now they're trying to reach into Atom, I O for as a, as a as a editor as well and Visual Studio Code. Well,
1: they're not so, reaching into it. It's the other way around. Like All these different things can reach into Maven's Mate. Yeah, and that's or, what I'm saying. They, right. They're
0: trying to provide support for that, but they're trying to do it in a way where they have one code base that they have to update because, of course, Salesforce is updating three times a year and they need to be able to keep up with that cycle and the easiest way do that has that has to do that is to centralize their API. Yeah. But they don't want to centralize the API on their servers because that means information and data is co- is going to their systems. Yeah, so a, they set up this local server app. That's not it either. They could totally have the common functionality built into each of these
1: plugins, the Maven, the Sublime plugin, the, whatever the other ones are. And that, right? That, I, that I, could, that I, could I be guess it code. could,
0: but this was, the, it's a architectural decision. It was yeah. a decision they made on their end that they felt was best for them.
1: You, well, here's the problem. They didn't, they didn't communicate this well.
0: No, no. I, the I was completely sense. caught off guard. Yeah. I had to go and do the research myself, get on GitHub, find all the links and everything to the okay. app.
1: And by the way, like I'm not, I, I know it sounds like we're bitching because we are, but yeah. it's, you know what are you going to do? Get your money back. You didn't pay anything for it, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> so
0: just, you
1: know, I appreciate that these guys do this. Or I don't know if it's one guy. It's Joe Ferraro. Is that
0: his name? Ferrari? Yeah, he, he's primary on it, but he's, he also has a, he's a single Ferrari. He's a Ferraro. He has a, he has a team of guys helping him. He does okay because it is open source, so he doesn't the have mavens? people helping him out. The okay. maven. We'll call them the mavens. Yeah. <laughs> The, um, the so, yeah, I mean,
1: it's, you know, uh, that's it's great that they produce this and give it away, but this could have been communicated better, I think. True. Because, again, the architecture has always been kind of confusing.
0: It, it always has been, yeah.
1: And I, I used to have a thing in my menu bar, that uh, the Maven's thing, uh, that you
0: could, like, turn it off or reset it or whatever. Yeah. And I don't have that anymore. I don't know why. Because now it's, now it, well, because they, they pulled that out, and it was... Kind of a plugin inside of Sublime, okay, and the APIs were in there, and I think it was doing what what you feel they should be doing, but for some reason they changed it to this application. I'm not exactly sure why, and I think it's that I think that's some of it. I believe is to maintain a single code base and update mechanism to that one application. So when that application runs, it updates itself, and it's independent of all the other updates that are occurring. Yeah. Um, also, any updates that that hosting application makes should not affect that because it's it's a call into that API so i i i believe there's some degree of separation there that they're yeah. they're they're accounting yeah, I for g- i get it i mean i understand why you separate those concerns
1: and have co- a common common uh library or whatever but it's just confusing and i'm a developer supposedly uh okay i want to talk about san francisco again just briefly Because we, I think we touched on how, like, there's parts of San Francisco I, you know, I I like, Mm -hmm. but there's just so much of it that's just like, it's just such a shame that it's either gone downhill in many ways or just struggles with these same issues it can't deal with. But this, um, there's an article, I have no idea where it's from, I'll have to look it up, I'll put it in show notes, called Tech Overkill Destroyed the Loveliest, Liveliest City on the West Coast. And this is what I was talking about when I said that, you know, I mean, when you think of San Francisco and its history, it's first of all, it's like, you know, very multicultural history. It was a landing point for lots of immigrants. It's got all this rich um, cultural, all these different neighborhoods where you can just get like, you know, see and consume all this amazing stuff from different cultures. And just so much of that's, you know, and then San Francisco, you know, it's, it's home to so many of the like famous artists and writers and, uh, you know, of the past and it's becoming a place where that could never happen again. You, a, a writer couldn't get their start in San Francisco, an artist—I mean, they because they're being squeezed out. And that's kind of what this article is all about. So, this person says, "You know, a friend of mine pays five thousand dollars a month for a two-bedroom apartment in San Francisco, and to buy it, it would cost one point four million dollars for a two-bedroom apartment." Now, the reason her rent is so high is because San Francisco is becoming an upscale suburb of Silicon Valley. You know, because San Francisco is really not. Silicon Valley, it's, Silicon Valley is like, you know, San Jose and Santa Clara and uh, Mountain View, Palo Alto. I mean, that's Silicon Valley. San Francisco is this, what used to be a really, you know, artsy and whatever neighborhood that's, but like I, I agree, This is, it's now becoming a suburb of Silicon Valley almost. In the process, it's becoming really, really dull. Uh, gone are many artists, artisans, and tradespeople. Instead, the lofts, townhouses, and studios are being populated with content curators, engineers, and infrastructure architect- architects. They're young, they're rich, and they're dull as dishwater. Um, you know, that's uh, companies, and again, say, you know, Salesforce is an example. I mean, they've gone from, I mean, they. Have, I don't know how many, what did they have, 17,000 employees? I thought it was eighteen, but and, it's, you know, it's somewhere around there. But all these companies have had these problems. You know, Salesforce, Google, I think Apple. Um, I've been criticized because they're they're gentrifying all these neighborhoods in San Francisco and probably other places too. And I talked, you know, I I've always loved talking to to Uber. They're probably uh, I don't know if they enjoy it or not, but I always talk to these <laughs> Uber drivers. I want to know like where they're from and you know. Speaking their, of their story is, they right.
0: probably don't enjoy it, Jeremy. I don't know.
1: I, th- I think actually a lot of times they do. No, but they, no, they seem to. I mean, they, they seem to enjoy the engagement. You know what the number one yeah. thing that these Uber drivers complain about? And most of them are, you know, either, they, most of them seem like either like maybe fir- first or maybe second generation immigrants. Hmm. But they complain about the fact that they can't afford to live in San Francisco anymore. Hmm. It's just either they've already moved out or it's, or it's just, you know, they're feeling the squeeze.
0: Uh, it's, it's. I mean, it's got to be a double-edged sword, though, right? They got to love that the the money and things that they that those people bring into local businesses. But at the same time, at some point, you can't you yeah. can't live there. I mean, they used to be able to make a living and and pay for their
1: housing. Now they can't make a living and pay for their housing. So they, they can't make a living that pays for their housing. So yeah. I mean, I guess money is being brought into the city, but it's being disproportionately shifted away from them. Mm. So today, San Francisco is uh, still physically beguiling. I mean, it is and that's, that's you know the main thing. I mean, just the you know all the different physical features and the microclimates and the hills, and, and there's a lot about San Francisco that's just you know charming and beautiful. Uh, but culturally, it's now a chilled-out version of Manhattan without the legacy. The tech boom has pushed out local character and imported people who look, talk, and act the same. One of the practical problems is that no one who works outside a booming tech firm or a financial services company can afford to live in the city itself. Uh, The result is a lot less diversity and a lot less culture. I'm skipping through a ton of stuff, but no, that's just Mm. basically the point. San Francisco may be the city of startup dreams, but it's becoming a dreary place to visit. I mean, I think this article hits it. It's the nail on the head. And it's like, what's the solution? I mean, that's just... You know, I talked to, I was in, I was in New York, I've been in New York the early part of this week, and I'm talking to people that live there and Uber drivers and everything. And that's one thing they complain about, like the guys that live in Brooklyn, how Brooklyn is just, and Queens as well. They're both just like gentrifying and it's becoming hard to live there. And there's, there's, like you said, it's double-edged sword. There's a lot of upside to it. I mean, there's a lot of places in, I mean, Brooklyn is now a tourist destination.
0: Well, Uber is making a killing at Dreamforce. I mean, well... Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, of course. That's beside the point. I mean, yeah, of course they're making a lot of money. I mean, I just, based on my simple math, they made at least 10 million extra dollars, just based on having those extra cars there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they they love it. But, you, but look who Uber employs.
0: Right? <laughs> it's all a bunch of programmers and nerds. Uber doesn't employ anybody. Well, except for the guys running the app.
1: It takes a lot of people to run that app. Yeah. Was that was that, an,
0: was that another fail, John? A fail topic. I wouldn't call it a fail. A downer. Just, it's a, it's a downer because I, I used to think fondly of San Francisco. I used to always want to. When I was younger, I remember it's the seeing, ricearoni treat, man. <laughs> I remember seeing pictures of the trolley cars and the yeah. the Golden Gate Bridge, and then I started consulting, and I, I I got to go there like for two months. I spent my entire two months there traveling back and forth on weekends only driving across that bridge, you know, twice a week. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it's sad for me to go back there at Dreamforce and to not enjoy it, to kind of only see the negative, to see the homeless guy, to see the pee on the streets, to see the, from San Francisco comes. (laughs) Right. A rolling. The San Francisco treat. Yeah, that's what we all grew up on. We grew up on the San Francisco treat and, and to, you know, to kind of look at it now and to think that all that's going away, that, the, the digital age has has kind of ruined the organicness of of San Francisco. It's it's a sad proposition. Yeah. Yeah, what's the answer
1: though? I don't know. Especially when you I mean I I think there's I think I think there are some answers though. Like don't I mean Salesforce can easily employ people in other parts of the country and they do. But to, you know, but to say that you know, we're going to try to pack as many people in our San Francisco office. And not only are we are we occupying two buildings already, but we're going to build a third one, a tower. Yeah. Because we want to be, we want to be on this peninsula. Yeah. We want to be in this city. Okay. We,
0: we own San Francisco. You know, yeah.
1: Dreamforce has to be in this city.
0: Yeah. Okay. I mean. It's, it's almost as if the ego is getting in the way of, of something good at that point. Yeah. I'll let you make that accusation i'm just saying i'm not saying i disagree with when you, you want to have a big tire with your with your name on it knowing that it, how it's going to impact the local economy well I, I, again politicians are probably enjoying it. it it's it's wonderful for them they're getting their their tax dollars they're getting their right what we all assume what we all feel is happening the the kickbacks well, yeah, and the because publicly, publicly
1: they'll they'll definitely pay lip service to yeah um you know Make, making these tech companies, you know, be socially responsible and all this other crap, but pff, they know what's happening. Yeah, you can be, you can, you can pay lips as much lip service, that kind of crap as you want. The bottom line is, it costs. They're going to have
0: all those annoying toilets and those annoying hand washing things that give you like three seconds of water and so you end up spending uh, half your day in the bathroom trying to wash your hands. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'm already in a city that has oh,
1: soft water, which means the water doesn't wash the soap off my hands. Yeah, not number problem number one. Problem number two is the water only runs for three seconds. I know. How do I get the soap off my hand?
0: You got to do it multiple times and you're back to where you started. You're using
1: more water than you probably (laughs) would have. Exactly. And you know what happens when the toilet only flushes one liter per flush? You got to flush it four times. I don't want to know what happens. (laughs) Okay, so now I have to flush the toilet four times. Did did that solve anything? No.
0: (laughs) No. Yeah. Uh, It's funny that we have to think about those things. Like when we remodeled our bathroom, I was very adamant that we we're keeping our toilet where we're not going to let them buy a new toilet because all those new toilets are low flush, You, you low can't flow. buy a good toilet anymore. Yeah. Like, no, we're
1: keeping our toilet. <laughs>
0: Although I do like the
1: ones that they make, it may be only a liter, but it like shoots it through super fast. It's like, it's, it's gotta be like air pressure driven or something. What is that? I guess. That's gotta make cur- courtesy flushes awkward. <laughs> or like airplanes. They have so much, there's so much negative air pressure. They just open it. They just open up like some little portal to the outside and it just no, sucks everything out.
0: It's a, <laughs> no, they <don't. laughs> I think it all gets collected and they, they can choose to jettison it if it becomes an issue. But I don't think, I don't think like poops raining down on some random people as they're flying over. Yes, that, that's what happens. No. What do you mean no? That's crazy. That's, John, look it up. That's what they do. That is not what they do. Yes, that can't be what they do. That cannot that's be allowed. What the,
1: that's also what thats also learned, That's what these uh, dream cruise liners do. The the dream boat. Yeah, they
0: go in the like the middle of the ocean. Though they can't do and it. They, yeah, they just dump it all out. Yeah, a
1: lot of a lot of baby roots floating out in the ocean. <laughs> just like baby roots. Yes, baby roots.
0: <laughs> baby yes, they, they, baby they, roots? Yes, or baby roots. Roots. <laughs> Wait, either way, that's that's a horrible visual. <laughs> Oh man, what have we become?
1: I don't know. When you flush an airplane toilet, it sure sounds like it's just opening. Right there's like a portal that just opens up on the outside. I of avoid plane. those.
0: I I I can't remember the last yeah. time I was in an in a airplane bathroom because I, I, will me, was, me, <laughs> I will sit there and destroy my bladder. I will sit there and destroy my bladder to avoid using those things. Yeah. Uh,
1: I wish the people that are sitting between me and the window would have your same philosophy, so I have to get up thirty
0: times during a flight. Uh, yeah, people amaze me they're just they just I don't know I'm maybe I'm just overly concerned overly worried overly weird about that kind of stuff but yeah some of these people they don't care man they got they got a job to do and they're gonna go do it have you heard of this CRM called
1: BASE BASE all your BASE are belong to us uh, that that better be their motto if it's that should be their tagline yeah it's called BASE like all caps B-A-S-E I think hmm. I didn't even heard of it I saw this article on Fortune. It was base versus Salesforce. Uh, they just raised another $30 million, total, totaling now 60000000 million they've raised. But they're, they're a little CRM, and it looks really slick. I initially thought, well, they must be targeting small and medium business. And I, I think that is their main thing. But they have, um, hmm. they're bragging about, they have Cisco, Dow, Jet.com, Striker, big, uh, big in the medical, right? Um, hmm. 60, yeah, they have 6,500 corporate accounts that they've gotten just in like two years. Can I
0: can I interject that it's sad that the state of URLs has gotten to the point where their URL has to be getbase.com, not base dot com? Yeah, you can't you can't get base.com. No. And it, I'd looked at base.com. It's some crappy movie blog or something. Yeah. But I'm sure that I mean that's a, at least a million dollar domain, right? I mean, they're just
1: they're waiting for someone that wants to pay that. I shouldn't say it's. Crappy. Listen, any four-letter domain it can yet. be almost anything. Four-letter domains are valuable,
0: but um, yeah, they. I mean, this is sales. I mean, this is what Salesforce is competing against—the smaller guys that are kind of nipping at their heels, right? Yeah, early on, many many VCs viewed their mission,
1: uh, which is to win over unhappy Salesforce customers. Many VCs viewed that mission as suicidal. But since then, they've signed up more than 6,500 corporate accounts. Uh, 1,500 of those contracts were signed since last October. They've had 500,000 downloads of their mobile app. Um, yeah. Interesting. You know, you've got these other things. You know, there's Zoho has been around forever, but, you know, they've got them like Pipe Drive. Zoho isn't pretty enough for me. No, and Zoho's. You know they've got all these different clouds. <laughs> I mean, it's it's like the and you can piece them together. It it's yeah. super useful for small businesses though. I mean, you can you can build again like pretty awesome, pretty awesome collection of apps for your little business that you can run your business on for very cheap.
0: Yeah, I guess I guess you get what you pay for. I'm such a visual person, and I I I, I value highly value elegance well why do you work on salesforce then i mean that's just (laughs) serious trying to change the culture no i mean the things i do i try to try to be mindful of that yeah i work within a system that has limitations but i still try to exude is that is that the right word exude some kind of eloquence in my solutions. some you know some kind of eloquence or elegance I guess elegance, I I guess, you know, when I try to design a solution, not saying I'm perfect at this, not saying I do this every time. There are cases where I just pound out some code and put it out there because that's what's asked of me. But, um, you know, if given the chance, I do try to think through how the user is going to use something, how how they're going to interact with it. You know, is it going to be enjoyable? Is it going to be useful? You know, all those things I try to take into consideration. It's not just a toss a bunch of fields and buttons on there and say, here you go. It works. What else do you want? You know, that's not me. So I, I enjoy apps that, that try to have an opinion on design, on UI, on performance, on efficiency, on productivity. Those are the things I enjoy. Those are those are the people that I think sat down and said, hey, we believe in this. I think this is the right thing to do. I care about it. Let's put it out there. Yeah. Maybe that's what I value. I value people caring about the things they do, taking pride in what they do. That's a better way of saying it. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know It makes a difference. It doesn't. What only, only,
1: difference <laughs> at this point does it
0: make? <laughs> it probably doesn't. I mean, Zoho gets by. They they do things. There's other products. Salesforce for the longest time got by with some pretty crappy UI. I'm allowed to say that now, by the way. Exactly.
1: It it's yeah. yeah. It's it's been blessed.
0: You can yeah, say it. I can say that now.
1: <laughs> uh, John, uh, this is a, a shocker. The Internet of Things is slow to take hold. Wow. I did not know that. Yes. Ah, uh, despite Salesforce' push, IoT adoption is slow to take hold. Because no one wants it. Jeff Kaplan, managing director of Think Strategies, I see his name all the time. He's been around forever. Always see him. Uh, he said companies are examining whether investing in IoT is cost-effective, but they're slow to adopt. I think people are going like, huh,
0: "How do what? Huh? Huh? Yeah, what? Huh? I,
1: huh?
0: I mean, <laughs> I mean, really? I mean, do we? I mean, it's not like these things haven't been attempted." For years now. Mm. I mean, you go back to the, like the, and I'm talking about home automation. I'm talking about things that are smart enough to do things for you. I'm talking about like back in the fifties or sixties when they were showing these, uh, future futurism videos of like, you know, fridges that would reorder food for you or stoves that would know how to cook a meal for you. You know, all this automation that that's, that's what we're really trying to achieve yeah. I think when and we feel like, you know, connecting this to the internet and the network would do that because then it's just a push of a button of, you know, I have this this item, here cook it for me. Click. Or I have this thing I need, here click, order it for me. Yeah. That's that's
1: the kind of the consumer perspective or the, you know, the the benefits they're going to pitch to us as consumers as why it's okay to have a toothbrush that sends all its data back to your dentist and to Philips,
0: and that—that's right? what IoT is marketing to. It's con- to consumers. It's not businesses because businesses no, already no, no, do no. IoT. Businesses are the ones that are going to put the big bucks in it because they well, want—they want to have companies that that have tools and serve and mechanisms for servicing their products already do IoT. They already have devices and things that are connected to their systems and their networks that provide feedback. You look at Cisco and everyone else that that has. You know, information but, being sent yeah. back on how they're talking about are doing. big companies, John. I'm talking about this being commoditized. I'm talking about con- the consumer market, which is where they all want to break into, no, where they want to hook no. your, your, your Salesforce your tooth to the internet. Salesforce
1: is trying to bring Internet of Things to smaller and small
0: and medium businesses. Salesforce is just trying to be there. I agree. They're just trying to be there. They they see this conversation Listen, big, happening. Big companies, long case. Big, big companies aren't going to use
1: Thundercloud. They're going to they're going to be doing their own things on EC two and right. They're going to be running their own, their own their own, Hadoop cla- or, or Azure. They're yes. going to be doing it on Azure. No, yeah, exactly. I mean, Microsoft is running this giant Hadoop Azure's and Azure is probably the, the perfect place for it. Probably is. I mean, how many, I mean, how many freaking well, .NET developers are out there? That's where Salesforce is running, is on Azure. We haven't confirmed that.
0: It came out of Mark Benioff's mouth. No. On stage. Ugh. We're going to have this conversation again. The information, the IoT information and events was being tracked by Azure, but the information was being sent over to Salesforce IoT. We don't have any information on what the the Salesforce IoT can and cannot receive and do. Only, all all we got in the keynote was a a passing mention of the information going from Azure Cloud to IoT Cloud. Right, but the, and it all starts with Azure. The ingestion
1: happens on the Azure
0: side. So there's That was all, that was all dog and pony show of hey look uh, we're working together with microsoft no no they actually said that they actually
1: said what azure was doing it was ingestion and processing and and resulting event data is then but sent that's over not back to the, the only the Salesforce viable architecture.
0: architecture you could have amazon ec2 sitting there pushing i'm data just telling to you what they said yeah i'm just saying that's I'm not, not, the not saying only there's way. not
1: other ways to do it oh, okay all right that's just that's just the way that they said thundercloud works
0: they were giving an example, though. They're not saying that's how thundercloud works. I, silly, I feel silly every time
1: I say thundercloud.
0: I feel like we're splitting words here. To be honest, <laughs> I think you're trying to. De- I don't know if you're trying to defend something or what. No, no, I'm just saying that you're saying that they're saying that IoT is Azure, and I'm saying no, no, IoT no, no. is not Azure.
1: You, you, you mean th- you think you mean I'm saying thundercloud
0: is Azure? Yes. Okay. Yes. No, I'm not. That's saying what that. I feel you're saying no, to me.
1: No, I mean all of the configuration and the UI and consuming all of. The, anal- the resulting analysis, that's all going to be in, on the Salesforce side. Okay. Then we're on the same page. Okay. All right. We got there. But yeah, slow to take hold. I don't know. I mean, you know, the big companies, they've, they've, I think, jumped on this, right? But it's, um, but there are, again, they're already, companies that, that have that, that are generating that kind of data, that volume of data, and that have
0: that problem, they've, they're already doing this themselves. Yeah, I, well, I mean, so- there's others that are, that are that are trying to get into that, and they're looking for a turnkey solution. That, that I think that's where companies like Azure and Salesforce are going to come into play. Is those companies that are late to market with some of this that have resisted putting money into this, and will find themselves needing to? They're going to be looking for that quick turnkey.
1: Yeah, because with Thundercloud, you're not you don't have to hire people who are, you know, Hadoop experts. Right. Right. And and. Whatever, that can run this stack of all these things, Hadoop and Spark and Pig and all these things that, that go into that. Yeah. And Kafka to ingest data. I mean, there's there's a lot of pieces that makes up a big data stack. Right. And, you know, Salesforce is trying to sell to the companies that don't necessarily want to do all that themselves, which makes a lot of sense, I think. I don't know of anyone else that's really doing that. true so microsoft is still investing in their crm product if there was any question about that which there was they why wouldn't they a lot of people thought that um because of this partnering between salesforce and microsoft that microsoft was basically signaling that they were going to you know either you know wind that wind their crm product down or it just wasn't in a focus for them but they just bought a company eight I don't know how you say this, ADX Studio, Attic Studio.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a company that's been around forever. They build products on top of uh, dynamic CRM. And Microsoft bought them. Hmm. I, think, I think it's kind of a vertical play. I'm not sure what kind of apps they make, but I'm assuming, uh, let's see if it says, uh, the leading provider of web portal and application lifecycle management solutions for dynamic CRM. So it's almost like uh, it would compete with Salesforce communities, really. Portals and stuff like that. So, so still investing.
0: So, there you go. I'm not surprised. I mean, it's good business. Yeah,
1: I mean they've they've got to figure out what they're going to do though, because they are what number four, I think, something like that. And I don't think it's like Microsoft to just be a number four player in somewhere. And so, you remember what was uh, Jack Welch's thing? We're either going to be number one or number two, or we're getting out of the business.
0: That doesn't necessarily mean that that's their the ongoing
1: philosophy No, and I'm not and that was a that was that was a Jack Welch thing, he, not a Microsoft thing. But I mean if you look at Microsoft, they
0: generally enjoy being the n- number one player in a lot in most spaces. I mean, why at, wouldn't you? I mean, you you've got a finite set of resources and what do you what do you focus on?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're number one in operating systems, you're number one in data you're number one or number two in databases, you're number one or number two in cloud infrastructure, you're number one in office software. Why, why would why do you want to be number four, number five, and a bunch of crap? Doesn't yeah. make any sense.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I have an opinion on on where they might go with with Dynamics because I mean it was an acquisition for them, was it? Yeah. Dynamics was. Yeah, yeah. Dynamics right. and so was Great Plains yeah. and everything yeah. else. I mean, it's all an acquisition for them, so it's not it's not like a core product that they started with that that they would have some kind of emotional attachment to, like they would OS. Yeah. It seems like a weird acquisition for them, though. It's
1: because they're a platform company,
0: right? Yeah, and I, I wonder if they're going to go back to being that. I mean, I with, with the advent of of Azure and all the tooling and all the focus they're building on that, I don't see why they wouldn't kind of trim the fat a bit and focus on being that platform company.
1: I mean, it's just diversification, I guess. And obviously, you know, Office is not... I mean, I guess you could argue Office is somewhat of a platform, but it's it's business applications, right?
0: It and, is, but Office And
1: and it's a it has been a huge cash cow for them. So it that is
0: ma- made a, that made a ton of sense to, yeah. to get into that. Yeah, Office still, I think, is their their bread and butter. I mean, obviously Windows is, but I think Windows was so popular because of Office. I mean, hell, I ran VM for the sole purpose of being able to run Office products. Word, Access, Excel, all of those. I thought that was mainly for SQL Server. Uh that too. That too, because I had such a legacy knowledge in and all that tooling that it was kind of hard for me to give it up and switch over to MySQL or Oracle or anything else. It's just I need you to keep running Windows so that when I have SQL Server data migrations I can outsource <laughs> those to you. I still do. I, <laughs> I got know. Windows ten. I know. And I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I I actually had to buy it again because my my copy of it wouldn't upgrade. So That's ridiculous. That's how committed I, I am to the Windows <clears throat> model I actually paid for the version that they said and, would upgrade free. Uh, and this this is uh You know, what copy protection gone bad? It is. Well, what it is is I bought an OEM copy of it and I guess I didn't register it correctly and thus I didn't qualify for the upgrade. No windows for you.
1: (laughs) I just cannot get a rise out of you. You just sit here. Listen, this is what I told Matt last week. What? When he DM'd us, I'm like, John just sits here and scowls at me the whole time. (laughs) And Matt's like, I'm sitting here cracking up. I'm like, I don't know why, because I'm looking, sitting here looking at you, you. just scowl at me. Yeah. It's because no one That's sees right. your, no one. Your sees topics it. are boring. Your topics are downers.
0: I didn't say it was boring.
1: You down, last week, you're...
0: <laughs> and you were refuse? <laughs> just now. You notice how I'm trying to diffuse the situation by whispering? <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Calm yeah. down. I Shh. have headphones on, so
1: you're...
0: <laughs> anyway. uh, I don't know why I start
1: whispering. I'm... I'm listen... You don't want, you don't want my, you don't want my jokes. You don't no, want my topics. I enjoy your
0: jokes. It's the face you make at me. It's just like, it's shock. <laughs> it puts me in a shock mode. Whatever. If I can still shock you, then there's something wrong with you. Well, there's something wrong. Well, with that's me. true. There's, yeah. that's for sure. I think that's, that's given. That's a, that's a factual statement, sir. There is something wrong with me. Well, I'm all out of topics for today. I'm not. Okay. I want to get into something creepy, man. Something really creepy that I read. So there's a company. Have Some, you ever heard of a company something called Something Creepy or something?
1: Super creepy.
0: This this might be elevated to the level of super creepy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which if there if there is an MVP program for Eclipse, I, I think that one is it. Super creepy. That's a good one. Yeah. So is this one? I'm
1: enjoying my Barbies more than ever, Jim.
0: Benny off in his Barbies, man. It's probably got a Barbie room. <laughs> And then when he walks in, it plays, I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Oh, you know the song.
1: <laughs> now that is.
0: <laughs> How could you not? It was like everywhere. I wish everyone could see you dancing to that right now. No, there's a reason we do not periscope this. <laughs> uh, I didn't tell you I was periscoping this.
1: Someone suggested we do, peris- we should periscope our. No, because so then I'll be I'm- really self conscious about
0: it. I know, I would too. I don't want yeah. yeah. Then I have to like get dressed up for the podcast instead of sitting here in my underwear. Exactly. You have to put pants on. Yeah.
1: Although I could probably arrange it so it's only, you know, chest up.
0: That might work. The kind of news anchor style.
1: Right. They're sitting there in shorts with their sport coat on <laughs> and tie. <laughs> All right, let's get to your creepy topic. All right. Have you heard of a company called Humanize? Humanize. Humanize. Uh, that's not the Raskin. What were they called? Um Jeff Raskin? Or was he the the guy that he, he he and his smart pals created that basically basically the first it was I think we ran this on Windows I can't remember
0: um launcher remember oh launcher was that human what hold or, on what were they called that might have been humanize um oh what was that now I now I'm googling because I got I got to find this because I loved that no, launcher. It wasn't Jeff Jeff was his dad. I used yeah, because he wrote the uh The Humane Interface Humane Interface book. Yeah. What was his son's name? It was Enso Launcher and it was humanized. Yeah, um, humanized, okay. Yeah. I have a good memory. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I did not make that connection. It's a blast from the past, huh? Now he used the term better. The Enso Launcher. Yeah, that was before I used. Remember that? Uh, that was before I was used it Was that Windows? Yes. It was Windows. It was awesome. I loved it. It was before I started using Quicksilver on Windows on Mac because I needed an alternative, and it was before Alfred, which I use now. Yeah, Alfred on. is better I'm, I'm than still, Quicksilver. I'm uh, still a Quicksilver guy. Alfred's better than Quicksilver.
1: Quicksilver doesn't have the functionality that, or sorry, Alfred doesn't have the functionality that Quicksilver has. It doesn't have the direct object, indirect object, you know, noun, verb, indirect object. Doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah which I don't know why you need it. I can't say this thing, email to John.
0: Uh, you could probably get it there, but it'd take more work than mm. than desired. The truth is, is I actually never use that functionality.
1: <laughs> I basically use it as a, an app launcher.
0: I, I use Alfred in a lot of different ways. I know, I've seen you do it. But you derailed me. Humanize. <laughs> so humanize, in my opinion... Attempts to dehumanize employees. Is this where they put sensors on them? Yes, oh, they my they gosh, wear this, I saw this this they wear this thing around their neck, and it's got this this bulky box, which they're they're of course going to try to shrink that down. But it basically records your movements and who you're talking to and who you're interacting with and where you are at and all those kind of things in an attempt for larger companies to understand how their people communicate. No, to, no, to gain insight into those unqual. Those instances where you walk down the hall and talk to someone and make and make a decision over something—you know—it's going to be all over this workday, probably. Remember that they—they they were deploying big data simply for the purpose of having the internet
1: of employees. It's just creepy to me.
0: I mean, yeah. now I'm going to go to, to to a company and they're going to demand that I wear this thing around my neck, it'll be tied to your security access. So. It'll, it'll be the, the thing, you know, to get you yep. to in, into the building, out of the building, all those things. And it will also be tracking your movements, who you're talking to, how long you spent in the bathroom, all those kind of things. It's the internet of, pl- of employees. How long you went to lunch for.
1: We're all heading to Creepy. We all know that. We all know it. We are heading there. And I don't... It, what sounds ridiculous
0: now is the reality of tomorrow. My, my fear is that, that these type of things, someone will, will write some... Or someone will get a hold of some CIO or something somewhere, and they'll convince them that this is the greatest idea ever. That they'll gain some kind of intelligent insight that will help them grow their business somehow. But the reality is, it probably won't. It'll do nothing. Oh, it's going to happen. We're going to be tracked like
1: little mice. And as you, yeah, as you like to say, Jeremy was right.
0: Yep. Using my words against me. I know. <laughs> That's what you're going to have to say. So, so, um, uh, this fast company, I guess is where the article originated from that I, that I read. They kind of did a kind of a, I guess a pilot of it. Um, and the, the guy that wrote the article, he kind of basically deconstructed the, the metrics and things like that. And it's, a, it's an interesting article because he, he approached it fairly pragmatically. You know, he, he actively went out and tried to talk to people and gain more interactions than he normally would. He doesn't normally spend a lot of time in the office, which of course this tool doesn't account for. He also mentioned that they didn't they didn't give humanized access to their email server or their slack accounts to also add that data into the bigger picture of things of how they're they're communicating as a team um but but again I mean he he saw he basically saw what he already knows he saw that he interacted with a certain group of people within his team a lot more than others you know they they at least identified some central points of contact where one person was kind of the hub of communication for a lot of other people. And I guess in that sense, it was almost, it's valuable in knowing that so that you can kind of know who is actually making things happen, who's actually coordinating activity. In one instance, Humanize gave an example. But this is of what, it. this is
1: what management's for. This is what spending time with people is I know, for. I know. I know. I'm just saying, I mean, th- and this these is, are this, the ins- like, this is a great example of spending a crap load of money on computers and automation and custom
0: software to tell you what you already it, knew. It tells a great story of, and yeah. the charts look great and the metrics look great to be able to see, oh, look, this person, did you know this person handled all this communication that you know was the like, hub for all these people? They're going to be like, yeah,
1: actually, you just look out there across the floor and you can see it. Everybody everybody knew that. Oh, you wait, you paid $15 million
0: for that system? Everybody already knew that. You, didn't, you just didn't <laughs> ask anybody you didn't talk to people yeah all these people that the higher-ups the c-level people that rely nothing on reports and everything all they they're going to get another report to tell them who's actually doing work so what what do they call this humanize yeah you know why they called it that i guarantee you some some smart naming
1: pr naming company told this to them it's just getting out in front of the issue because it is you're right it is dehumanizing so what do you do call it humanize get out right in front so they can't criticize it
0: yeah Anyways, it, it raised the creepy level to, to an all-new level for me. Yeah. I mean, we all kind of knew that companies are looking for ways to track what you do, to understand more about how you do your job and who's doing what. Because they want to be able to quantify that in some kind of metric. They want to quantify that in some kind of statistic. Yeah. But, it's just like trying to boil you down to a 1 to 5 rating. I know. Every six months. It's just further removing people from people. Yep.
1: It is. It's like, well, we really don't want anyone to have to talk to you or manage you, so... Put this vest on, please, with all these tracking elements on it.
0: But it also may—that's that, a good way to lose good people. It may may be a dinosaur already. I mean, more is. of us are working remotely. More of us are setting up independent shops and and choosing to be quote unquote contractors. Yeah. I mean, more of us are, are the, the the style of the way we interact with companies, the way employees interact with companies, is is, is changing. It's it's not this. Everyone goes to this one building, and everyone's collaborating in, under this one roof anymore. Yep, this is definitely a. So what the
1: fuck are you talking about? It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. All right, <laughs> uh, shall we get to our Jeremy? Our I most have a question for you. Our most important hold, segment. On, hold on. This is our most, most important segment of the day. <laughs> I, I got to remember how we did this. It's so Jeremy. What'd you bring to drink? Well, I can tell you what you brought to drink, <laughs> uh, or us to drink, which is Four Roses single barrel. That's right. It has been, it has taken us way too long to get
0: some bourbon up in this studio. It has. And um, today I decided we need to end that. (laughs) 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 It's like I I came bearing gifts. I went to the local store and got us some Four Roses and then I had to go to another store to find us some glasses. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So this whole time we've been enjoying a fine Kentucky bourbon. Where are they from? Can, four roses. Let's see if I can get this on the you know mic. Yeah, they're owned by a Japanese company, right? <laughs> yes. I you do. already got it on the mic earlier. <laughs> oh, I hit the yeah. You hit your thing.
0: You, <laughs> hit, you hit your dingus. <laughs> <laughs> My pop. Uh where's four roses? They were an American company and they got bought out by a Japanese company. They were kind of a well, they're owned low- by Japan, but they're they're still produced where?
1: Um can they're yeah, they're in Kentucky. Kentucky. Yep. Yeah. Currently owned by the Kirin Brewery Company of Japan. Uh-huh. But Four Roses, we've talked about them before. They were, they were around since like the 1800s. And they, before the, I think it was before the Japanese bought them, they were a crap brand. Yeah. You know, just terrible whiskey. Yeah. And then they got bought out, and now they're this premium company. They get, um, where are they brewed, you know, or
0: distilled? Uh, I can tell you, I think. Are they one of these? Um, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. You know,
1: some of these supposedly good whiskeys are brewed by um, what is it? M MGP? Uh, yeah, MGP. Let me find this. MGP Ingredients is the name. It's a massive, just like almost like big, huge corporate. Let's see if I can find them on Wikipedia.
0: Now this 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 specifically says Four Roses Distillery, MGP of Indiana.
1: listen, listen to the products that come out of that distillery, though MGP. Um Boulay to so the boulet, right or bullet as people as, as Americans like to say bullet
0: give me some of that bullet, bullet. I, I had by the way I ordered some Boulay the other day and I had to say bullet I know it's so frustrating well, like, that was at San Francisco but I, I ordered know. it again yeah. I, I went to Mashed by the way and tried to order some and uh, I had to say bullet yeah this doesn't even list some of their, their I know there's better brands but Boulay Templeton
1: um, Filibuster High West Redemption Angel's Envy.
0: Um, Angel's Envy. Wow. Yes, yes. See, I knew it. I told wow. you. Yes. By the way, if if you're getting into whiskies and you need something smooth and subtle, Angel's Envy is it. It's a great whiskey. They all have the same exact mash bill. Like this
1: this distillery literally just does giant, does a giant mash, and they all get the same
0: <laughs> mash bill. Uh, I, I like Angel's Envy.
1: I I just bought a bottle of that and I and I would never had it. I bought a bottle, you know, sight unseen or untested, untasted. Um, it's I like it. It's good. It's really fruity though. It's got a. I mean, it's yeah. finished in port barrels, and you can definitely get some of those flavors that are not traditional bourbon flavors. Yeah, and it it is good. But number one, I'm not sure I like that. I'm not
0: sure I like that. Do you uh, you go for more of the spiciness? The
1: it's got some spiciness in it
0: because it doesn't it, actually no, have rye. It, it doesn't. It doesn't have rye. No, I don't think it does. It's not. It's not as for me, it's a very smooth, subtle taste. It's it doesn't have that strong spice to it that say you know some of the stronger ones would have. Are you sure? I don't think it does. And do you ever go to the bourbon wiki? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um I enjoy things. I don't always nerd out on them. Which is sad because I, I'm not as much as I enjoy bourbon and whiskeys, I'm not someone I'm not someone. Good to talk to about that stuff. It's not like you can. Oh, I'm into bourbon, and I can sit there and talk to you all day about it. It's just I, I enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy drinking it. I'm not. I don't know everything about it, right? I don't know everything about the caramels and the vanillas and all these different flavors and tastes and smells. Well, no, you should know. You don't know. You should know what you're tasting. Well, I do, but I'm not. I'm not. I don't nerd out about it. I don't nerd out about all all of it. I just That's enjoy drinking it. That's my job. That's your job. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, it's good. But um, the yeah, the port the port barrel flavors that you get. I'm just, it's interesting, but like I said, I'm, I'm I'm not sure that I want that in my bourbon. And I'm also not sure that that would make a good bourbon for making cocktails.
0: And maybe that's not what you would use it for. Yeah. I don't use it to make cocktails. I use it just to drink straight, maybe over some, some ice. Right. Um, I don't use it to make cocktails. Yeah.
1: And you know, you, you probably, and they're probably, I'm sure they're, because it's like 50 bucks for a, Seven fifty. You know, sure. that's
0: interesting because when it when it first came out or when it was relatively new, um I remember getting it at a you know major chain. Used to be uh, cheap, right? It used to be about thirty bucks. Now it's and 50. now it's gone up to about forty nine, fifty bucks. Yeah. yeah. Forty five, fifty bucks.
1: And then they just last year it got it was when it got really popular yeah. and the prices
0: went up. And I started seeing it on menus and they were asking just just crazy money for it like 11 bucks for for a double shot or something like that. It's just like that's not bad. That was 15. Sorry, it was 15. 15. Yeah. That's still bad for a single shot. Oh, if sorry. you go to any of these
1: cocktail places like in San Francisco or New York and you cannot get a cocktail for under 20 bucks.
0: Oh, I know. In a lot of these places. Yeah.
1: Now they are really well made and you've got this, you know, the bartender with the you know, curly mustache. Curly mustache and <laughs> Exactly, hipster stash. Exactly, and they're you know making the stuff from the hand, cracking the ice and and carving the ice, and it's it's all it's cool, it's well done, but it's also twenty bucks for a drink.
0: <laughs> I hand crack ice. <laughs> Potential show title. <laughs>
1: I even got you something to do that with. Yep, and I hand crack ice too. I do like creating a a nice clear
0: cube, yeah. huge cube of ice. That's my favorite. It's that clear side.
1: Yeah. And it's something about the fact, because, you know, we. I think you and I both have the things that'll either make spheres or that'll make the big, you have the one that makes the big cubes? The one, in, or the two inch by two inch cubes? No. Those are okay too, but there's something about the, the fact that when you do, you know, hand carve a big cube of ice, mm-hmm. it's that it's, well, number one, it's, it's clearer, right? Yeah. But also it's the fact that it's not a perfect, like manufactured cube. Yeah. It's a hand
0: carved cube. Yeah, it has which, all its imperfections. Exactly. it's there's not, interest in it. Right. It's got character. Yeah. That's something to look at while you're drinking. Right. It makes you feel like a connoisseur and yeah. not an alcoholic. Yeah, that allows you to be a, a <laughs> It's it's the line between yeah. alcoholic and connoisseur. Yeah.
1: No no true cocktail snob would be, you know, would not want to have a hand crafted
0: <laughs> Well, I have two ways to make cube. clear ice. I have one that makes that that cube that I got you and then I also have two others that make spheres that are clear. It wastes a lot of ice to do that, right. but it, it does eventually make yeah. a clear, clear sphere. Oh, we have first world problems, John. We do that. Well, our
1: ice isn't clear enough. <laughs> oh, you're starving. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and to that, I say, good day, sir. Good day, sir. Keep in mind, these aren't real journalists, Richard. They're tech journalists. Yeah, well... You know, that's just like uh, your
1: opinion, man. Invest in America. That's amazing. It's easy.